I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their back-end stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site-centric. They, they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva. Hey, Guru Nation. Welcome back to another episode. This one's special. It's it's real. It's raw. It's unfiltered podcast. We've got Dr. Fox on. We've got Chris Sauber on and Dr. Charlin on, uh, who's a PI. Uh, and we're going to talk about... We're going to start off with payments, but then we're going to get into strategically choosing studies for your site. Once you hit a level to where you can start saying no to studies, because initially no one can really say no when you're just when you're just starting out, you say yes to every study that comes your way. But at around the one year mark or so, you can start getting more selective about the studies you choose, and then you can even get more strategic about choosing certain studies based on other studies you have in order to make the screen failures fit in another study. So with that being said, let's get into payments first, because payments is a huge issue in our industry. Dr. Charlin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your site, your practice, and all that stuff? Yeah, so 2015, I opened an independent clinical neurology practice. It's actually a little more integrative. So not only do we do all the usual things with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, that kind of thing in terms of drug diagnostics and drug management, uh, but I actually bring in nutrition and movement and other things to really help people. I come from an academic background. I've done my uh, work at Emory University, University of Virginia and uh, Vanderbilt, a little bit at Wake Forest even. So I've done a lot of research. I've been exposed to a lot of research. I've had my name on quite a few, you know, I don't, not quite a few publications, but enough that you can certainly find me on PubMed. And uh, shortly after we opened in 2015, Novartis approached uh, me to get involved with what is now called Kesimpta, but at the time, Ofatumumab, which is a monoclonal antibody for treatment of multiple sclerosis. And some previous history with them. So uh, it was like, well, yeah, let's, you know, we're opening the practice. Let's do a clinical trial. I had, you know, the experience. I had an employee who had been a uh, research nurse with a different uh, uh, clinical research organization. So it all seemed to fit nicely. And I think, you know, there's that element of 
keeping a foot in clinical trials to give some credibility to your practice, some authority and that kind of thing. Fast forward, things really grew. We have over 30 clinical trials. Uh, we, of course, made plenty of mistakes along the way, which is, you know, a whole other podcast, I'm sure. But we're, we're become, you know, much larger and we have several more in the wings. Um, we now have, you know, multi-million dollar contracts. But with those types of, you know, opportunities, it creates costs. So my business overhead as a whole with all the different divisions runs about 200,000 a month. And we can meet those costs, but at the same time, uh, when big payments that are due to us don't come in in a timely manner for whatever reason, you know, I still have to pay $200,000 in overhead no matter what. Of course, the employees always come first, right? So this is the challenge we've had. We've learned a few lessons along the way, like trying to contract, making sure we're contracting for monthly payments, not quarterly payments. Uh, we have been onboarding with Creo, so using, you know, clinical trial management software to be a more streamlined. But in the end, it is very, very frustrating. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, growth sometimes happens faster than you realize it, or you don't necessarily take into account all the costs. And I'm sort of at the point where, you know, I think the research is, is fun and interesting. I, I'm in my late 50s, so I could use research as part of my retirement plan where I am still a PI, but hey, no call, no weekends, you know, no nights, that kind of thing. Pretty straightforward, come in, do the assessments and all that, get paid. So I like it, but I can't, it's sort of like the big weight that feels like it's taken the ship, the whole ship down, you know? And so we have to solve this problem of being paid in a timely and reliable manner you know, you get into lines of credit and things like that, but that gets to be a slippery slope. So that's as short as I can make it. I'm happy to. Well, doctor, I'll, I'll give my two cents first. Uh, obviously, uh, it's best if you don't take out lines of credit. I know sometimes that can't be avoided. If it were me and my site, I think I would demand payment of any interest you've had to pay from the sponsor for a late payment. Um, you may have to show proof of that, but I would demand that. Um, depending on how behind they are in payments, I guess the last bullet uh, in your gun in terms of what to utilize to force payments, the last bullet is to cease all communications with the sponsor in terms of allowing them on your site to review the, the data. The CRA is no longer allowed on site. There'll be no more data entered into EDC. You'll, you'll maintain the protocol in terms of seeing patients as the study requires, but you will no longer provide them with the data and they will have no access to the data. The CREs will not be allowed on site until you receive payment. This usually generates payment rather quickly, usually, not always, but usually. Um, again, you, you wanna try and use all other possibilities to get payment before doing that because some sponsors won't want to work with you again but if it's to the point where you don't want to work with them again best to just to do that because it doesn't matter if you burn a bridge right just get paid um right 
but again, I would a part of that equation would be if you've literally taken out loans to meet your your overhead and responsibilities of the study, I would force payment by the sponsor of that as well before they're allowed. Make that a pass through, Chris. Huh? Make that a pass through. Yeah, whatever <laughs> the they want to do, how loans. they want to pay it. Well, but they have yeah. to pay right. It. And this is I hundred percent agree. This is obviously also for your listeners. So this, you know, it kind of comes in waves to where the payments are coming in smoothly and then something happens. Um, so I have written letters and copied a million people on them. And then usually things get worked out because they tend to listen to me more than they listen to my research manager. Yep, they do. Uh, so that does, that can be effective. In this particular case, some of the fault is my own in the sense that it is and it isn't that as we grew and created all these LLCs, which have their own tax ID numbers, we then went to, to protect that whole corporate veil. We went to our bank and we set up separate accounts and then have a pass-through account. So we had to re, uh, redo the contracts with the new mm -hmm. entity new, tax ID new... number. Yep. And that's all and different direct deposits too, isn't happened, it? And you know, yep. 150,000 in payments don't come through. Is that my fault? Well, we provide them with the correct information you know, and then of course the payer is is contracted with the sponsor, so it's not the same entity. And payers in India, and then you can only email them. You know, it's not like you get on the phone and say, "Hey, what was the problem with setting up this ACH?" Right? Because did we do something? Do you have the correct numbers? Let's yep. get on the phone. Let's have the bank on the phone. Bank says we didn't get any attempted payment. They say we attempted payment and it got rejected but there's nobody that you can actually talk to, which is a huge part of the frustration. Mm -hmm. Dr. Charlin, is this a CRO you're dealing with or a sponsor? Have you identified the source of the issue? Well, it's, um, I wish I had my manager with me, but it's the company that say in this particular case is Eli Lilly um, contracts with to handle their payment system. And then some of the payments come directly from Eli Lilly. And generally, you know, once we got things kind of ironed out, the payments from Eli Lilly were coming in more consistently. Um, and then in this, you know, it's, we don't, we work with several sponsors. Um, so I'm not trying to point the fingers or blame one in particular, but it's just, as, you, as you're pointing out and the whole reason for the podcast, these are very, very common problems. Yeah. And you so know, I, I can tell you, Eli Lilly has one of the higher packed scores in the industry. So they're very, very good. Sorry, I, I invented my own credit score for sponsors and CROs. So I know based off of business practices, what their dependability is. It's, it's a credit score. And Eli Lilly has one of the better ones. The, I just wrote a, I, I just did a podcast on this interviewing two people on this subject. And so it's very fresh with me, but what I can tell you is what you're going through is unfortunately the industry standard. You've got physicians who want to do research and who are running into so many barriers that they're just saying, you know what, this is, isn't worth, this isn't worth my time. It isn't worth the frustration. They make this really hard to get the money and I can't put my neck out on the line like this. They're, they're just not treating me professionally or respectfully. Uh, and what we're finding is like what Chris was saying, 
it, unfortunately, the industry standard to get to this point is an escalation. If you're just like, okay, data stops, the gravy train stops until you're compliant with your payments, generally you'll get paid within three to five days. It does and work. Yeah. It, it works every time. So if you contact your CRA, you say, okay, we're done here until I get my money. Then wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden there's a magic switch somewhere, it's flipped and you get paid within the week. A lot of times these, um, I've, I have friends that are study directors at pharma and small biotech, so large and small. When they hire a CRO, they actually give them like an escrow account that's to be used for sites. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's an actually escrow account, but they give them oh. funds for site payments. You know what they call them? There's a term for it. They call it a drawdown account. It's a tab. And it's called a drawdown account. CRO has the money. It's on, it's in a bank account, sitting at the CRO's bank account, collecting interest. And they're still, even with the money in their bank account, they're late on, they're late on their sites. Almost 100% of the time, they take full advantage of the kindness of our sites being willing to take care of our patients. Right. So when you, when you use those, when you use those, 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 um, those techniques, for trying to get your payment, like, okay, no more, we're not answering any more queries, we're not allowing any more monitors to come in, you'll see how quickly you get it. Now, if it still takes a while to get it, it could be a sponsor funding issue. Because I've had those cases too, where it's like usually a smaller biotech. It's usually not the big pharma, and I've had good experiences with Eli Lilly. So in your case, I would venture to guess it's a CRO that's causing the, the, the hold up. Yeah. So and I'm pretty you, sure I know which one it is. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure if you use that, like send that email today, you'll get a payment in a few days because Eli Lilly gave them money. Eli Lilly has money. Yeah. But what I can say is it can be a lot easier. I really appreciate what you've grown in research and you should not have to go through this. If it don't, don't feel alone. Don't feel like other people aren't going through this because they are and they're willing to help. So please don't give up because of administrative burden. Don't please just, if anything, just reach out to me, reach out to Chris, reach out to someone and, and want to make sure that this is, this is worth your time and you get paid for what you do. You know, I, one of the things that I wondered about is, you know, would it be, are there, uh, companies that are invested in site research that are large, larger companies that have, you know, sites in multiple states and there's, you know, and that they have more bargaining power, they have more streamlined processes, you know, um, I, it's not that I want to walk away from research, I own my business, I want to continue to be involved in it. So I know I had found out about Dan who did a pot, you know, a little video several years ago about selling your business and, and of course, continuing to work as part of that contract work for the business for the next few years as that transition takes place. I'm still interested in being a PI. I mean, at this point, it really doesn't serve me anymore to own my business. It probably would be more profitable for me to be paid as a PI. I have yet to pay myself. As a PI, I own another business that I pay myself in, uh, but as we split these apart and created a separate LLC for research, mm. I'm not even paying myself yet. So, 
you know, I would still have the credibility as a researcher and my name on a, on a paper and, you know, being on the cutting edge and all that, somebody else basically owned and operated my business and hired me as a PI. And I would stay on for years. I'd be happy. A lot of people do that. A lot of people do. How long ago did you split the LLCs? With, oh, just a few months ago. A few months ago. Okay. So that's just recent. Yeah. 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 There, there are a lot of options out there. The, the really big, there's big site networks that are gobbling up the industry. You could always just go into them. There's other small growing site networks that are becoming more independent. There's, there's all kinds of options depending on the direction that you want to take. Yeah, but I think, so you should explore the option of, of uh, making it work, right? And it's unfortunate that the industry does this to a lot of new investigators is, you know what, um, there's, there's a stat that's like 10% of PIs or 90% of PIs who do their first trial never do their second one again. And they always try to blame like, oh, site operations. They they don't know how to manage. A lot of times it's cash flow issues. And we point the finger, most of the time I point the finger at the CROs. The CROs were supposed to be the organizations that make this industry run smoother, be more efficient. And instead, we're getting these huge organizations almost as big as the drug companies themselves that could care less whether sites are functioning properly, as long as it doesn't impact enrollment at their study too much, right? And and it's unfortunate because they're they're an industry stakeholder, they're an important industry stakeholder, but they don't have the same incentives that the sponsors do for getting the trials done quickly and without problems. So we rant on CROs a lot on the show. I could almost guarantee in your situation the issue is not with Eli Lilly, it's with a CRO, and you need to make some noise. And before you consider exploring the site or explore selling the site, I think you should try to maximize the the profit you could get at your site and then sell it. Cause you'll, you'll, you're leaving a lot of money on the table if you're selling a cash strapped site, as opposed to one that's self-sustaining. So you have every incentive also to try to make this work for yourself. Um, and I mean, other than just advice, like hang in there, and platitudes like that. I think there are things you can do since you have multiple LLCs. One of them is if your other business is going to subsidize research, write a loan to it. Make sure your CPA is okay with how you're doing it. Charge interest, pay interest back to your company when you get paid, and then bill that to the sponsor and say, look, this is what I had to do to keep my patients in your study. And and I think the reason is the CRO was not paying me on time for a variety of reasons that you can make conspiracies uh, theories on, but maybe it's as simple as they don't care, or maybe it's as complex and evil as they're currently getting interest off of your money while they can. And if they do this to a thousand sites, it's actually a good revenue stream. Interesting. That's awesome information. I really appreciate it. I do think I need to step away, but I'll keep you guys on mm-hmm. in the background. If you're going to continue uh, talking, Absolutely. I'd be, be listen. For sure. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Pleasure Charlotte. to meet you. Thank you so yes, much. Thank you. Nice you. Maybe you. you have a good day. Reconnect sometime soon, hopefully. Yep. 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 Good luck right. with your issue. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. What, a, what a story, guys. I mean, a published physician scientist okay, who treats patients in an underserved community. I know where he's at now. 
being pushed away, a specialist on top of that. And specialists in underserved communities don't have to do anything they don't want to do. They're like the kings of those communities. He's over here contemplating shutting down his research because a few CROs can't get their act together when it comes to paying sites properly. I'm almost 99% sure it's not Eli Lilly, guys. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Eli Lilly, Eli Lilly so, is by far one of the best. Where there. I disagree with what Dan said, well, I'll take issue with it a little bit. Let's is, go, Chris. Let's go. Is he blamed, and you as well, Dr. Box, are blaming the CRO. And I'm with the FDA on this. The FDA came out and mandated a few years back that the sponsor is ultimately to blame for everything. And that's the case here. They need to know who they're hiring, right? If you're president of the United States and you hire an evil defense minister and they start attacking everybody, it's the president's fault. FDA doesn't sponsor. cover money. No, FDA doesn't no, cover no, no, money. No, that's contractual. No, but the CRO said, the, the, um, the FDA said the sponsor is responsible for all work of the CRO. They're ultimately responsible. And in this case as well. When it impacts no, it's not though because it's not it's not money. I I completely disagree. Hundred percent. FDA never said money. FDA has steel cars. They don't care about money. I'm not saying the FDA said this. I'm making a comparison. I'm saying well, no, regulatory wise, like absolutely, FDA is like your sponsor. You're on the hook for whatever the CRO monitors for whatever regulatory issues are submitted. I yes, as far as money goes, no. FDA says look at the contract. That's a legal thing. Yeah, I understand that. I'm not saying the FDA mandates that the, the sponsor is responsible for the CRO. What I'm saying is it's the exact same issue. From a site level, the sponsor is ultimately responsible. They hired yes. this company. It's their fault I'm not getting paid. Hire the only thing is, CRO. They, have you read the CTAs, though? They put loopholes in for that. I understand. And again, that's the CRO's response or the sponsor's responsibility. They allow this to happen. It's mm-hmm. their fault, ultimately, period. Yeah. It's not the CRO's fault. Hire a better CRO, especially Have when you've you seen those CTAs where the, I've I've seen the CTAs come in where it's literally the CTA says site agrees that sponsor is not a part of this agreement. Site will no, work solely I, I with the CRO. Have absolutely, I've seen that. Regardless, again, this especially a reputable sponsor like Eli Lilly or Pfizer, yeah. mm-hmm. reputable. Um, you know, it, it's ultimately their responsibility and they're hiring these shady CROs that aren't paying sites. I, me, hey, I still blame the sponsor personally because they could hire, right. they could hire a, a CRO that's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. responsible for their actions and, and works according to what they would expect. So obviously they must expect this. So here's where it gets complicated. And this is why Save Our Sites SOS conference is so important. So Eli Lilly has, at least on paper, they've picked one of the best CROs that are out there uh, from a operation standpoint. When a company like Eli Lilly gets a, a select uh, or what they call it, a preferred vendor arrangement with one of the big CROs, they get their best CRAs. They get like yep. the A-team. They get the cherry pickers. Yep. When a Joe Schmo biotech comes out and they're lucky enough to hire the same CRO, they're not getting the A team, right? They're getting the F team, whatever team you want. Like they're not getting the A team. Everybody knows this. Everybody at all levels of pharma know this. This is why big pharma 
can afford to pay these CROs more to guarantee they have the A team. So they, as far as Lily's concerned, hey, our operations are set. We get the but we've got the budget to pay for top-notch monitoring, and they probably get it. What they're not thinking about though is their reputation when it comes to these investigators, because the investigator is looking at Eli Lilly like, why did you pick this CRO? And and in fairness to Eli Lilly, this issue could be happening with any of the CROs they pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is Lilly to do then? Just maybe somebody needs to audit the CROs. Why are we not paying these sites on time? Maybe there needs to be a new position created. Well, it's. I think the resolution or is fairly simple, and that is, as Dr. Fox was describing in terms of the contracts with the sites from the CROs, have a similar contract between a sponsor and the CRO. If we receive, it's there. I just don't think we can read it. I've never. Sure, sure, but specific (laughs) to site payments or any kind of pinpoints, pain points there are, Um, but. If you're not paying sites within X number of days of what their contract stipulates, we're not paying you. So where's the late fees? Oh, I thought about this. I was talking to someone when I was in college and whenever they went to uh, like a, a dinner, a diner, they went to go out to eat or something like that. They would take a roll of quarters and they would put the quarters along the entire table. And then what happened was throughout the course of the meal, every time that waiter or waitress screwed up, they would slowly pick one of the quarters off the table. Boom, boom. And by the end of the meal, that was the tip. So you start off with this big number, and then every time you screw up, it whittles down because obviously you're not doing a good job. And then by the end of the thing, there you go. So your incentive would be to... Do it properly. This must have been a few years ago, like 2019 or something. It was a long time ago, Chris. Yeah. Thanks for aging me there. <laughs> Hopefully, the concept is still there. 2023, yeah. the quarters wouldn't work. It'd have to be dollar bills. No. But look, yeah, this industry, this industry is all about auditing QA, QC. The sponsors do plenty of auditing of their CROs when it comes to the operations. They look at every CRA's resume. Why mm-hmm. can't they just audit site payments as well? And say, hey, we understand. And I think part of it is being aware of that this is a problem. I think a lot of sites don't speak up. And or when they do, the CRO keeps it on the hush. That's I was on SAGs at CROs. And I sat there because it was during COVID. I said, why aren't you making site payments a KPI? Why aren't you making it a metric? Because they came out and they tried to present all these different metrics about how sites behave. And I sat there and I said, why aren't you doing this for yourself? Why don't you look in the mirror? I was dismissed. What is from the SAG? What's the uh, site advisory group, site advisory board? Okay. Bring in a bunch of sites just to make it look like you're listening, and then you quiet the people <laughs> that you don't want to, you don't want to hear anymore. I love well, that. Well, well. So one thing I think we often forget is, and I said this earlier, it's a business, and there's two sides to this business, right? So sponsors have a number of items they have to keep in mind in terms to have a successful business. And one of those things are on their R&D that they're able to accomplish their studies, right? And part of that is keeping sites happy and keeping them paid and keeping them recruiting. I mean, one of the biggest issues in, in research is recruitment. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, you hear this this FMV all the time for fair market value. Well, guess what? Pay me better, I'll do a better job of getting you patients, and that's that's true of many sites. Not all sites. It doesn't matter what you pay them; they may not be able to get patients for you. But for many sites, and this is what we were initially going to do, having similar studies, this kind of mm-hmm. kind of works into that. If you have two studies with the same patient population, which one are you going to enroll in first if the budgets are very different, right? One's, one's great and one's not too good. Well, I have those two studies and they're primarily the same study. Guess what? That one study is getting all the patients, the one that I'm getting paid mm-hmm. better on. Mm-hmm. Or even you're paying like timely or they're actually being compliant. Sure, I, sure. I mean, there, there, there's different metrics, but primarily it's if I'm getting 15,000 a patient on this study for the same work, I'm getting 8,000 on this study for the same work, I'm going with 15,000 a patient. But what, what would happen? So, what would happen on that 8,000 per patient study where you got paid the day of, whereas the 15,000 one you had to spend half of your administrative load just to get the money? Then, how are you netting? Are you really want to pay for the more? You want to enroll in the more expensive one where you're never going to get the money and you have to spend more money to collect so it. In my situation, or would you rather deflate yes. it? In my situation, yes. I would take I would take the fifteen thousand. You take more money and have to work harder for it. I wouldn't have to work any harder for it. I would just wait. I wouldn't be one of those sites complaining. Um, there's enough money in our account that I don't money's not a concern <laughs> in our business account. But to address what you're asking uh, primarily. If yes, money's an issue and you need immediate funding, of course, you're gonna go with the $8,000 patient. Because um, I, I think you're gonna be working, if you were to follow like the passive route for the more money, odds are you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Why? I've always been paid, I've never not been paid. Interesting, uh, on everything, invoiceables and all. Correct, I've always been paid. It's just sometimes it takes six months to a year, but I've always been paid <laughs> six months, a year. Yeah, there it's so. So it sounds like you've built a pretty good financial battery to where you could survive the web. Oh yeah, we could go a couple of years without any funds. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's after like what ten years of being a site, maybe five. Maybe we we got yeah. to this level like at five years. Yeah. That's another. I mean, that's a, and that's why when sites get big enough. They stop complaining no so much about these yeah. things. And they're, guess who goes to these big conferences? Those sites. Those guys. So the this doesn't get addressed. And this yeah. doesn't get addressed to the sponsors. When the sponsors show up and say, hey, we're here to listen to see what sites have to say about research. Well, you're only getting like the top 10% of sites. They, they're like Chris. They don't care if they get paid in a year or six months or three months. You know, they're they're here. They've got enough studies to where somebody's paying at some point to pay the bills and the owners have enough to do dividends and all that stuff. So whether it comes in 2023 or 2024 or 2025, we're still okay. Now, where where that changes is if we reach hyperinflation. Of course, then it changes. I want to I want to get paid yesterday. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe I, and also there, there's something to be said in that in that variable of who who which study do you recruit for if eight or fifteen k. There's also which study is like more realistic to accept your patient. Like, 
where are you going to actually be able to randomize patients? Mm -hmm. Because if I have to work my ass off to get one patient randomized, but I can get like three or four randomized relatively simple on that $8,000 study, I'm going there. Well, I said assuming they're both comparable, right? Ah, okay. Same, same gotcha, work. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, yeah, I'm I'm with you there too, Dan. If if I have to put in four times the effort, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe yeah. I would prefer the the eight thousand dollars just because it's easier to get my patients in. If I'm if I'm at a ninety percent screen failure rate on the fifteen thousand, and I'm at twenty percent on the eight, I probably do go with the eight. So that brings so I'm getting us more patients in. I'm getting it's more actually, patients in and we'll make more money. So that's perfect segue to where we wanted to start um, on pairing your studies. So you get to a point when you are a, a financially stable enough site to where you can be picky, like Chris, not almost Yuma clinical trials, not yet. We, we could be somewhat picky. So I had a recent example. We, we have, we had an offer for an obesity, same sponsor. Okay. We had an offer. They say you can only pick one. You're still a new site. We we would give you both studies if you were more experienced, but you're a new site. So you can take obesity with diabetes or just obesity. And my PI hmm. told me, well, why'd you pick the harder one? Though I chose obesity with diabetes. Why'd you pick the harder one? Well, I told them, look, PI, we have another obesity study. Right. So we have a place for those patients. We also have a diabetes study that's screen failing like crazy. Study wide oh is like see, 90%, I see where this is going. Yeah, 90% screen fail rates across the the entire study, not just my site. By the way, we have a hundred percent screen fail rate right now. And guess what we started doing? We we stopped screening as much because we know where they're gonna fail. These are not real world patients. So I told him, I said, look. From all these five screen fails we already have in like our first two months, four of these five qualify for this study that I picked. So we already have the other indication taken care of. I need a home for my screen failures because if I don't pick this study, they're not going to go anywhere. There's no study for them. So then he's like, oh, it makes sense. You got to like pair them. I'm like, yeah, you got to pair yep. the studies you have. It's like wine and cheese. But a lot of sites, when they're newer, they don't think about this. They just say yes to everything. They don't have the opportunity to think about that oftentimes. But you get to a point where you do. And I think sure. this 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 discussion internally has not had it enough. I think at the very experienced sites they are. But I, I didn't learn this in my first year of research. But it's in Yuma Clinical Trials' first year and a half of existence because I have 17 years of experience. Otherwise, I would have chosen the easier study too, like my PI wanted. But then what are you doing? You're leaving money on the table with these screen fillers. So that a lot of things just clicked there. I remember. So the way we always saw it is we always saw it like a patient was falling from the air. The patient was falling and we would cast as many nets as we could to save that patient. And if the patient fell through one net, we would have another net right underneath there to catch him. And so no matter what would happen, we would try to have as many nets as possible to catch as many patients as possible. So that's kind of where we did our, our strategy for the, the trial development. And sometimes when you run into that, there's also the question is, well, can a patient be on both trials? And that's where you got to be real tricky. That's, we didn't really do that a whole lot. Some of those maybe IVD ones, fine, but they're not 
don't really want to do that, and especially with the inclusion exclusions. The other thing that just caught my eye, my ear, when I heard you talk about that, Dan, is maybe that could be a really good net for your screen failure ratios. Or if you had one guy, one person, uh, you know, failing, you're not going to get paid for it on a screen failure ratio. You had this other trial over here. Well, maybe that could help to compensate for your your efforts. Yeah. And, and sponsor liked the idea when I brought it up at the SSV site selection visit. I said, look, she asked me, like, how many patients have are, you know, do you think you can get? And I told her, we already know because the screen failures of our other study qualify for this study. So I already have four patients ready to go on We're day ready. one. Yeah. And they these are patients that don't need to be convinced that research is a good idea. These are patients we've already done all that work for. They're ready to go. So she loved that. She's like, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, there's a lot of like uh, levels to this strategy that I don't think's ever been discussed anywhere uh, on the internet. And you just did a site selection visit, uh, I think Friday, right? A few days ago? We had two SSVs last week. Yeah, we had one for this study and one for a hypertension study that we did Mm -hmm. last week. No, 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 the RSV and COVID one. Is that last week? Oh, I did that one for another. Yes, I did that. Exactly right. Chris, you want to share about that one? That was a good one. Same strategy, really. Yeah, so um, Dan's other site, he's speaking specific to you there. Uh, This site's in California. Um, I was on that SSV too, on Zoom. Yeah, so we have... That site has an RSV study. Part of the RS, so they're expect they're expecting a ninety percent screen failure rate for this wow. study. It's going to be higher than that. It's going to be like ninety nine percent. Yeah. Jeez. Well, what it is is it's a it's a RSV study, and basically they're paying all screen failures, um, and you're testing the patient when they walk in the door. They're you know, private practice, they come in, hey, doctor, I'm sick, what do I have? Do I have COVID? Do I have the flu? Well, you have them join the study and you check them, right? So you, right there, it takes about 10 minutes to get the results uh, with what the sponsor's providing. And it checks for COVID, flu, and RSV. So if they have the flu, we have no home for them. But if they have RSV, they qualify for the study. If they have COVID, they most likely qualify for this other study, which Dan Dan did the um, site selection visit for. So I assume he brought this up as he did with the diabetes and um, yep. obesity study. I assume he brought this up. Same argument. Well. I literally repli- copy and pasted my strategy from the last SSV to that one. It was the same thing, just different indications. Yep. We're already pre-screening for your study. We already have people... Uh, ready to be screened. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're and I, assume, I assume the CRA was like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Oh, yeah. She was just checking boxes. But, yeah. She was like, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, and, just yeah. Working for her paycheck. Yep. And we'll yep. see how Going we get paid on all. We'll see how we yep. get paid on all these studies. Because yeah. Hey, do you think she gets her paycheck on time? Yes. But uh, there have been cases where with um, fly-by-night sponsors that aren't able to pay their CRAs. Yeah, we've heard that story a couple of times where the CRAs were months behind in payment. Romark, I believe, was the sponsor's name. I don't care, but we've done a video on them. 
Romark. Yep. They're this European conglomerate that does all kinds of stuff from like skis to who knows. They were riding that COVID wave of trying to find the next cure for COVID. And they created this really easy study where sites were encouraged to enroll like 100 patients each. And then they, they hired their own CRAs, like contractors. They didn't use a CRO. And so whenever you have a sponsor that you never heard of, that's not hiring a CRO. Red flag. Because a sponsor you never heard of, you, they, you never heard of them for a reason. They don't know what they're doing. 99% of the time, they're going to hire a CRO. So when they don't, that's a red flag. They they started telling sites, hey, we're going to pay you for all this stuff. Sites didn't get paid. There's sites that to this day, three years later, have yet to get paid. And they lost six figures wow. doing this study because they yep. paid patients with COVID to do their study. And the patients were getting paid. The staff were getting paid. One of the first signs of this uh, crumbling, falling apart, the CRA started complaining on LinkedIn they weren't getting paid. That's when we all knew it's over. Because when you don't take care of your CRAs, there is no more study. They're not showing up. Would a CRA ever show up for free to monitor? That shit's stressful. Well, some of these monitors did for a while. So we've discussed this before, Dan, but the first first test and i tell all of our clients this on considering uh taking a new study with somebody they haven't heard of is are they publicly traded that's a good test for can you be assured that you're going to get paid now you you still may not it's always a possibility uh, but more likely than not if they're going to continue to be publicly traded you are getting paid unless the bottom falls out like in that's what i said yeah, that could happen. Yep. Um, Pfizer winds up getting sued. You know. And and if not publicly traded, there is a subset. Are they using a CRO that we know of? Uh, and because there are a few examples of not publicly traded, but they use CROs. And some of the really big pharma, uh, oh, I forget which one it actually is. One of the big ones that I was like, there's no way these guys are not publicly traded. Is actually not publicly traded. Paracel. Paracel is private. Paracel, but like one of the big pharma. There's like a big pharma. I just saw their, because I was talking to my PI about a study, and then we wanted to look at their stock. Is it Takeda? No, no, no. It's like either Shearing Plow or one of these companies. It might be Roche. Roche Genentech. I don't know. One of these. It's a pretty big one. Yeah, one, but they all use CRO. Even the small ones you've never heard of all yeah. use CRO for the most part. So, yeah, there's a lot of issues with this. is why we're doing Save Our Sites and uh, SOS mm-hmm. Conference. So. so do you think we'll talk? Maybe that would be a good thing to put at SOS is the complementary trial selection. Yeah, I want to. Maybe some good examples. Another pet peeve of mine is that I want that topic. I want... um exploratory endpoints and how it's killing our industry it's it's helping in the long run it's killing in the short run there might not be a long run if we keep using these exploratory endpoints that make trials impossible for both patients and sites i remember when we wrote grants they said the one thing that'll always kill your grant is the while you're at it 
Yeah. And I think while you're at it, get an MRI of this knee, that yep. knee, and the back. <laughs> yep. They said, and, and it never fails. You write this multi million dollar grant, and some doctor over on the third floor of, you know, never met him before, he goes, Hey, I saw you're writing this grant. Can you go ahead and add an x ray in there for me? Or taking it just yeah. one more tube of blood. Just one more tube of blood. It's not a big deal. But then you get 30 of those, and then all of a sudden you're taking a, you know, five gallons of blood out of a patient, and everyone wants their while you're at it. While you're at it, are ki- currently killing me right now. Uh, with yeah. one of our studies it always does the while your edits are a, a killer and it really drops your quality and your attention toward your primary objectives well there's a lot of topics guys thank you anything else we forgot to mention or you want to get off your chest just, before we wrap up i just uh, go ahead go Chris. ahead i was so just I was gonna just, say go that ahead, interview go with the doctor the interview with the doctor you brought on brought back a lot of memories and I've heard that conversation time and time again. It just breaks my heart every time I hear it. It's all these patients are suffering, not because we don't have the trials for them, but because we can't get our stuff together. It just ticks me off every time I hear that story. It happens every day. That just happens to be serendipitously one that lined up with our time that we were able to get him on video. But it's literally going on like everywhere with people doing studies and especially guys like him investigator owned sites that's exactly what the sponsors want and unknowingly to them probably because of CROs they're pushing them away so yeah muted Chris should get everyone pissed off while Chris unmutes himself it should get everyone pissed off yeah all right Chris you're back yes you're back, Chris. Um, Last things really, on your on your I mind. I didn't really have anything to say other than check your email. Ah, I just well, you, I forwarded you something. Thank you. Probably another study or something. <laughs> no, it's something different. All right. Well, that's my call to action, guys. I got to go. But thank you guys for watching. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Follow Dr. Fox um, LinkedIn. His LinkedIn profile is underneath. His podcast is amazing, especially with the skits and the the skits? approach. He does Wait, skits? skits. Yeah, Chris. Never heard it. You've never heard. He's never listened. Yeah, He's never listened. Chris never is on listen? your board and hasn't heard your. Come podcast. on, Chris. Skits. I will have to check that out. You know, you know, don't even listen to the whole interview. Just listen to like the first five minutes for the skit, and then we we'll move on to the next one. There you go. Let him know. Well, let Doctor Fox know your your honest feedback because you are on his board. I want to know. Yeah, yeah. I, don't I think, think that they're has great. anything to do with. I don't think the two kind of do they exist together. I mean, it's a CRPN based podcast. Okay, so right. if you have any right. advice, please feel free to reach out. I will definitely check it out. It's in your scope of work, Chris. That's what you signed up for. Yep. But I anyways, like payments one. I put it on the to do list. Well, yep. besides the skit, he has the way he picks a topic, then he interviews two people separately on the same topic, same questions. And then he edits it at the end. So you see if they're the same message you're getting from two independent people or completely different message. And just the listener can make their own analysis as to, okay, well, they didn't, he didn't just pick a guest that has his agenda, you know, for his ax to grind. Um, so it's like a, it's a pretty fair podcast in that sense. I've never actually seen it done before. So I, I have a feeling there will be something similar at our conference. 
Yeah, we could do that. Sure. Well, what I mean is just kind of not necessarily arguments, but disagreements amongst yeah. all of us. We're there for conversations. Get something I, done. Yep. I think yeah, we'll have a first aid kit on on site. So, so some genuine conversation. <laughs> All right, guys, like, subscribe, comment, share, go follow Dr. Fox. I'd tell you to follow Chris, but you know where to be found, man. So just follow me sure, instead. You might, I'll yeah, get you might be following it. a Nazi if you're not careful. Yeah, That's don't right. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. I'm right, not like, a subscribe, Nazi. Comment, He's share. not referring to me. There no, is another Chris no, Sauber. <laughs> different Chris. Different Chris. There was another Chris Sauber on LinkedIn. I don't know if still is. That is not this Chris. That actually is yeah. like... A neo Nazi. He put it in his headline yeah. or something. Yeah. Stay away you know, from that guy. If you want Chris, you just put it in a picture. It doesn't even have to be of you. Do that blue car. Make that blue car your profile pic behind you. And that way we know it's you. Otherwise, I just see <laughs> a little awesome. random like dot. Yeah. Chris will get cool. on LinkedIn soon, guys. Thank you guys. Like, subscribe, comment, share, follow. Right. Bye -bye. Thanks, everyone.